Gracious Father, we just want to pause uh, once more and ask that your spirit would continue to uh, have our minds focused upon you, uh, that our hearts would be open, uh, and that you would uh, meet the need uh, deep down in the soul of everyone here this morning. Uh, that you would use me as a willing vessel to communicate your truth this morning and that your spirit would use it in uh, such a way that it will encourage, uh, that it will uh, do the great work that it needs to uh, in order to draw us closer to you, uh, for us to surrender those things in this world that we still hold on to. Um, because, Lord, we truly want you to be glorified. We want to lift your name on high uh, as the God who did love us uh, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who came and took on flesh, who dwelt among us, who lived a perfect, sinless life. Uh, and as we think about the cross and the, the magnitude of what sin has done uh, to this world, uh, Lord, we're thankful that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, and so, Father, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory today uh, because your Son has freed us uh, to worship you. To, uh, to learn from you, to commune with you. Uh, and so, Father, we ask that this morning as we open up your word, uh, which is timeless, which is applicable even today, and uh, we ask it that your word, as living and active, would do its great work uh, in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. It's been a couple weeks since uh, we began chapter 4 uh, because we had a baby dedication in there and then uh, we uh, had Pastor uh, Caden preach last Sunday uh, asking the question, are you ready? Uh, as he took a look at the uh, parable of the, the virgins, the uh, five of which were wise and five that were foolish uh, in preparation for the wedding feast. Uh, and today we get to talk about uh, the importance of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Uh, as we continue on in chapter 4, um, I'd like to go ahead and just read from verse 1 through verse 3 because this is a, uh, a complete thought uh, as we take a look uh, at the second characteristic of walking in a manner worthy. It says that, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, and this is Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul here, uh, as he transitions into what we consider the, the, the more applicable portion of uh, his letter to the church at Ephesus, to the saints in Ephesus, uh, not that the rest of Scripture is not applicable, but he has spent the time building uh, and, and filling our hearts and our minds with truths that are eternal uh, in relation to who God is, who Jesus Christ is, why Christ came, what man's condition was that you know, brought Christ, uh, and the fact that Jesus is the only way that we can be made right with God. Uh, and as we take a look at that, Paul transitions here, and he's urging, he's admonishing uh, the believers here to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Uh, this is a high calling. 
Uh, it's not something that is a call that is merit-based uh, as a response to what Christ has done because we cannot earn our salvation. We can't keep our salvation because salvation belongs to God. It's God's from beginning to end. He had a plan before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus, and that plan is realized in Christ's coming, uh, which we just celebrated uh, just a few weeks ago. But this admonishment, this urging to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called is an actual outflow of what Christ has done. Because you are no longer that same individual, you are now alive in Christ Jesus. And as a result of being alive, you are urged to do something that you did not do, that you were not capable of doing before Christ. And that is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Because there are people in this world that have not been called. There are people in this world who have not experienced saving grace in Christ. And therefore, they cannot walk in this manner. They don't desire to walk in this manner. But Paul knows, because Paul has experienced this transformation, that this is important. This is foundational uh, as we grow and become mature in our faith. Uh, that characterizes someone who's a mature Christian, that is maturing and not just staying, you know, in the, what we call the milk of the word, uh, in the, the, those fundamentals. Uh, they are important, but there's a sense in which we, we need to continue to keep growing spiritually. Just like, you know, a baby grows physically when they are fed, so is the case as we feed ourselves spiritually to the point where we're able to walk in such a manner that is different from the way we used to walk. Uh, and the reason for that is because we walked in the flesh, in the physical realm prior to Christ, and now we walk in the spiritual realm and are able to do things that are spiritual in nature. Well, you know, humility, as we looked at uh, two, a couple of weeks ago, is defined as lowliness of mind. Uh, and you remember, uh, this is a heart attitude, and this is the very first beatitude that Jesus Christ, you know, shared with the, the crowd uh, on that day when he preached the greatest sermon ever preached, wherein he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. See, we cannot become God's children apart from humbling ourselves, because we have to get rid of pride, we have to get rid of every excuse, every you know, thing that we would desire to try and earn favor with God and lay that aside. Because those things will never measure up. They will always fall short of the glory of God. But we also cannot rightly live the Christian life without humility. So in other words, it was humility that we experienced when we humbled ourselves and repented of our sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. And it doesn't end there. That's the beginning. That's the, the new start. That's the rebirth of what we have experienced in Christ and so it is vital that we, uh, as it says here, and, and take this urging for what it is, this admonishment from Paul, to make humility part of who we are. So in other words, surrendering everything that would be prideful and walking with the Lord in a way that is, is humble, saying, God, there's things that I don't know. There are things that you need to teach me. There are things that you need to remove from my life that are still there that cause you grief. Because I'm still growing. There's things that need to change. 
And you know, we took the time uh, as well a couple weeks ago to talk about the characteristics of biblical humility. And I gave you five C's to remember. The first coming out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, where it talks about not regarding anyone according to flesh because we are a new creation. So humility, biblical humility, is characterized by ceasing living to self. Because that's what we used to do apart from Christ. We lived for ourselves. Doesn't mean that we couldn't bring others into that circle, but what defined us, what characterized us, was a living for self. What can I get out of it? But another characteristic is that of a credence to God's authority and his provision, which comes out of 1 Chronicles 29. Uh, 11 to 13, where we talked about God's greatness, his power, his glory, his victory, his majesty, and the fact that everything comes from him. Because that's what humility also uh, embraces. You know, we are not the masters of our own destiny. Uh, We don't work and do of our own good pleasure. We realize that every ounce of strength that we have, every moment that we have to live on this earth is a gift from God. And he is the one that works in and through us because he is great, he is powerful, he is glorious, he is victorious, and he's majestic. It is also accounting others as more significant than yourself, which Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 communicate very well, is the fact that we see others and their value and their worth, and therefore because of what Christ has done we count them more significant than ourselves. It is a redirection of putting God first, others second, and ourselves last. It is also a contentment in God. We found that out in Philippians chapter 4, that whatever situation, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, doesn't matter what the situation is, we are to be content. And that is a humbling of ourselves because the thing is, sometimes circumstances are not joyous as was prayed this morning. Sometimes it is something that's uncomfortable, something that we would rather not experience. But the thing is, those are outside of our control. And therefore, what needs to change? Well, what changed in Christ, in being humbled before him, is the ability to be content no matter what the circumstances are. And last, we talked in relation to casting our burdens on the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Because it's important for us not to hold on, to not, you know, cherish those things that we really need to give to God. You know, stop being gluttons of our own, you know, demise and punishment because we're afraid to let go of something, some burden, because we don't know what that is going to mean. But see, humility is giving up of control. It's giving back to God something. Because sometimes we hold on to burdens that we should not. And it's to our detriment. And see, that's what biblical humility ends up doing is it helps us do something that will actually, in the end, free us. Well, that brings us to the second characteristic. I know it was a little bit of a long review, but it's been a couple weeks. Um, And so it's important for us to see how these all connect together because as you look at biblical humility and the next word, which is gentleness or can be translated meekness, which we see in the scriptures, These two go hand in hand with one another. Uh, You'll find out uh, as we we take a look here this morning uh, that you have to have humility in order to be gentle, to be meek. And we're going to see that what the world defines it as is not what it is biblically. Uh, And this is a characteristic that we all need to have. 
with all humility and gentleness. Well, in our modern world, gentleness or meekness is not an often sought-after characteristic. You will not find someone, or if you do, let me know, uh, that lives in this world, that is part of this world, that says, I'm going to grow up, and my biggest characteristic is I'm going to be meek. Because meekness, as the world perceives it, is, is weakness. It's passivity. It's fearfulness. Uh, and the thing is, it's not something that you know, uh, self would want to aspire to, because there's preservation of self. And being you know, considered weak or passive or fearful is not something that, that you know, takes care of that need of watching out for number one, who is me. Or you, if you personalize that, by the way, not just me. But that's, that's the thing that w- the world looks at in relation to this uh, gentleness or meekness. And so I'd like to take and share with you in the next few moments six things that the Bible shows us and characterizes meekness as so that you have a better biblical understanding of why this is a crucial characteristic. You know, it may be number two on the list, but I told uh, you, know, as I said earlier, humility and gentleness go together. So the first thing that we can take a look at scripturally is that meekness is first a vertical characteristic. When I say vertical, think of it this way. This is a a characteristic that speaks to how you stand before God. Do you stand in your own strength? Do you stand in pride? You know, this is how you stand before God. And that's where it starts because if, if we're not humble, then we're not going to be meek. And we're going to be standing in a way that is not glorifying to God, it's glorifying to self. See, biblical meekness is letting go of the arrogance, the boldness, and pride that stem from self-assertion. Because that's what pride is. It's self-assertion. I'm, I'm, I'm imposing myself on the rest of the world because what matters is me. And the thing is, is biblical meekness or gentleness is letting go of that arrogance, that boldness, that, that you know, pridefulness that uh, is contrary to biblical humility, which also affects your meekness or your gentleness. What it is is a willful acceptance of what God has ordained, no matter what that may be. Let me say that again. Biblical meekness is a willful acceptance of what God has ordained, no matter what that may be. And, you know, I started thinking of uh, just a flood of examples scripturally, and I'm going to spare you this morning. I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you some homework, is to look in the scriptures, look Old Testament and New Testament, and you're going to find that many of the biblical characters, this is how they lived their lives. They lived with a willful acceptance of what God had ordained, no matter what it was. There's probably a couple names that'll pop right to the, the, the top and you'll say, oh, I know who he's talking about. That's good. Well, there's, there's many examples. But know this, as you take a look at their lives, as you look at these different biblical characters, and the reason they're there is for us to see and to glean, to see that meekness in act, action, to see humility in action. See, they trusted in and were in submission to God. See, when we are apart from Christ, part of this world, we believe we're in submission just to ourselves. 
You know, and how often have you shared the gospel with someone and them think that, you know what, there's nobody I need to give an answer to. You know, who, who are you to tell me what is right and wrong? Okay, because it, it always is about that individual. It's always about what they believe it to be true. They don't want to even think or contemplate that there's a truth outside of themselves, let alone an absolute truth that, you know, goes beyond what we can see to the eternal realm where God dwells. See, these biblical characters trusted in and were in submission to God. And notice this, even when it hurt or was inconvenient. And I know sometimes when we find ourselves even living our lives as believers today, there are things that hurt. There are things that are inconvenient, but that does not change how we stand before God. It should not change how we stand before God because we've been redeemed. We've been reborn so we don't look at it through the lens of this world. We don't look at it through the lens of how we used to live our lives. We look at it through the lens of how biblical characters, have, how Jesus himself and what we are commanded to do as believers today should live our lives. Because when we do, when we trust that way, when we submit that way to God, then that is what produces contentment even when we're not in control and are able to turn things our way. See, what we're doing is we're stepping back and saying, God, you know what? I trust you no matter what. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's inconvenient. But you know what? I know I can trust you every day, every hour, because you are the, the wonderful, you know, glorious, victorious, powerful, majestic God of all. And you'll notice that I, I, I said that how these tie together well, see, when we you know, live in meekness or gentleness before, the God, before God in this way, it actually produces contentment. Well, isn't that exactly what we said just a few moments ago in relation to humility from Philippians 4? Yes, because that's what happens, is that God can give us a contentment that goes beyond the circumstances of life. Even when things are outside of our control, even when we can't even turn them somehow so that they're more favorable towards us. But see, the thing is, is that what is at the core of this and why this is a vertical characteristic is because when we stand before God in meekness, that's based in humility, by letting go of our pride, then we'll be able to submit ourselves to God. We'll be able to trust in God no matter what. John Blanchard, in his book, Right with God, said this about meekness. He says, meekness is the defining grace produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, which characterizes that person's response towards God and man. Okay, and this is what I'm going to read the response to God first, and then our last characteristic of meekness will be in relation to man. So we'll pick up this illustration at the end. But he says, meekness towards God is a spirit of submission to all of God's dealings with us, especially those which cause us sorrow or pain, in settled conviction that in all of these, he is graciously, wisely, and sovereignly working for the good of those who love him. See, that's where we have the right attitude, we have the right placement, we have the right focus, the right gaze, because that focus, that gaze, is on God himself. We are standing under and in the God who saved us. 
because we're trusting in him and we're submitting underneath of him, knowing that he is going to watch over and take us through no matter what we may be facing, even when it hurts, even when it's inconvenient. So meekness is first a vertical characteristic. Second, meekness is power under control. This Greek word that we find in uh, uh, verse 2 of Ephesians 4 that's translated gentleness in some translations or meekness in others uh, is often used in relation to wild animals. Uh, In particular, wild animals that have been tamed. Uh, And so, you know, when we look at biblical examples of, say, a bridled horse, uh, this is where this particular Greek word and this idea of meekness and gentleness comes from. Uh, And as you think about a bridled horse... You know, a lot of people may look at it and say, well, that, that horse is broken now. It's been, you know, put under submission where it no longer has the ability to be a horse. Well, that's wrong because it's focusing on the wrong things. Because a bridled horse has not lost one ounce of its strength. What a bridled horse now has as it is under this trainer is to be able to respond in a particular way and in a particular direction. So in other words, directed power. Because that horse still has all the strength that it had before, but now it has an avenue or a channel through which that power can be executed for you know, whatever means or whatever end it may be. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this. He says, what is meekness? Many people have a totally wrong idea of it, but they can learn the true meaning by listening to jockeys and horse trainers after a horse race. The horse that wins the race is the meekest on the track. So when a horse trainer or a rider or a jockey, you know, wins a race, this is how they refer to the horse. It is the meekest on the track. This is the horse that wins under control, the horse that responds most quickly to the jockey's guidance. The self-willed horse, the the factious horse, is frequently left at the post. When he does get started, he may run faster than some of the others, but he does not finish with the leaders who were meek. And look at that in relation to how we are if we submit ourselves to God. When we are meek before God, then just like you know, the jockey guides the horse and channels that strength of that horse in a particular direction for a particular purpose, for a particular goal, is exactly what God does to us as believers because he takes the, the, the strength and the characteristics that he has given to us as individuals, because he doesn't erase who we are when we trust Christ. What he does is he channels through that and through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us, gives us a power not even our own, and then channels that in and through who we are to accomplish God's good pleasure and to be able to take us through things that hurt and are inconvenient. See, it's a beautiful picture of what happens here as we look at the horse and we see this power under control is what meekness is in a believer's life. It is power under control. So that what we do is we channel all of our energies into standing in the power of God and not standing in our own power. It's trusting in and submitting to God as opposed to trying to do it on our own and think that we know better than God. That's right. Babies are green, too. (laughs) Meekness is first a vertical characteristic. It is second, power under control. Third, it is placing us under God's thoughts and ways. 
And I appeal to Isaiah chapter 55, a scripture you're very familiar with. Starting in verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher, or for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, when we are meek before God, when we are humble before God, then what happens is we are coming underneath of the the truth that God knows more than we know. Matter of fact, he knows everything there is to know. And we are putting ourselves under the one who says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So even when it hurts, even when it's inconvenient, even when we can't see how this could possibly help or you know, further the kingdom of God, God's saying, my thoughts are higher than yours and my ways are higher than your ways. And know this, that God is going to continue to accomplish his good pleasure. He is going to continue to accomplish his will because he is the God who is sovereignly over all. Fourth, meekness changes our focus. This is a beautiful thing that I, as I studied this past week, that I, know, I didn't notice when I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think this is important to highlight, and, and again, this shows you how the Word of God, once you see another portion of it, can shed light on another section that you already have studied. Because you'll notice that, as I told you, humility, yeah, yeah, if I can say the word right, humility is the first beatitude. Well, do you know what the third beatitude is? Meekness. Verse 5 says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But the, the point I want to make here is this change of focus is notice what sandwiches or what are the bookends on that verse. Because I think this really speaks uh, to the truth of what meekness uh, is and what meekness will help accomplish when we are you know, standing that way before God. Because look at verse 4. You know, and again, this is one bookend. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, and that is mourning over sin. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then the other book in is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So on either end of this beautiful blessed, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who submit and stand before God as the clay before the potter, is you mourn over sin and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you see the change in focus? You see how those two, you know, uh, not only augment, but also help us see what meekness does? Because when we're standing right before God, when we're submitting to him, then we're going to see our sin as God sees our sin. And we're going to mourn over that sin even more as God shows us the things that we need to surrender to him. But he also, when we stand before him rightly, gives us an additional hunger for the word of God the thirst for righteousness, to live in light of that reality of being someone who has been born again. And so it's a beautiful thing because it, it does change our focus. Because when we are biblically meek, 
we will mourn over sin and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fifth, meekness demonstrates a trust in God. And this may be, you know, probably the most simple of the characteristics or the the reasons biblically that we should demonstrate uh, a trust in God in, in relation to being meekness. But oftentimes what happens when we are lacking in meekness, when we are lacking in submission, is because we've lost sight of who God is. Or we think that God does not understand, or we think that, that God doesn't know better than we do because he is not in my set of circumstances. We kind of marginalize God. And so part of this is, is making sure that we remember who God is the one who we know scripturally is the, the holy other. You know, and I mention his attributes because there are things that you, you need to make part of your Christian life. Because if you forget who God is, then it is going to cause you to focus on things that you should not. If you forget who God is, you're going to stand in your own strength. If you forget who God is, then you're not going to see beyond the circumstances and they will be hurtful, and they will be inconvenient, and that's what you'll focus on instead of the contentment that can come in Christ. See, God's sovereign, uh, and his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence assure that. They all work together. So if God is sovereign over everything, and that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present, is there any reason why we should not trust God? Is there any reason why we should not submit to him and trust him with whatever we're dealing with. See, if we remember who God is, then we know that we can do that without doubting because God is also good. He does that which is good and particularly for those who he loves through his son. We know that from Psalm 100 verse 5 that God is good all the time. And that God keeps his word from Numbers 23 and Isaiah 25. The reason you can trust God is because you don't have to worry about God misleading you or telling you something that is not true or, uh, you know, giving you a solution that's just going to frustrate you. But see, the the key to that is, is that you need to be in the right place yourself, not only mentally, but spiritually. You need to be under submission. You need to be meek before God. Because meekness demonstrates that you can trust in God. See, sinful flesh trusts in itself and sometimes trusts outside itself. But again, when we trust outside of ourselves, we open ourselves up to hurt and pain. That's how relationships are. There's always the potential that someone's going to hurt you. But the thing is, that's not true with God. Now, we may not like what God is going to bring into our lives or take us through that is hurtful or inconvenient. But the thing is, is if your focus is on him, if you can trust him through it all, remember who he is, that is gonna make all the difference and is gonna give you a contentment that you will not be able to understand, a contentment that will overwhelm you and, and, and others are gonna say, how in the world are you able to bear up under this? That's because I'm standing in trust, in submission to God himself the one who is good, the one who keeps his word, the one who is over all. And last, his meekness is the second, or is second, a horizontal characteristic. I told you I started out at the beginning saying it was a vertical one, but it's also a 
horizontal characteristic. And John Blanchard in his book, Right With God, and I'll begin with the first sentence so you still have the context of the remainder of this quote. He says, meekness is a defining grace produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, which characterizes that person's response towards God and men. Okay, so we've already heard about the response to God, and that response is submission and trusting in God, just like we see the biblical characters doing. But in relation to men, it says, meekness towards man means bearing patiently with the hurtful actions of others and dealing gently with their failures, not only in the assurance that all of these are under God's providential control, but in the knowledge that, left to ourselves, we have no claim to be any stronger than the weakest of our friends or any better than the worst of our enemies. I think he hits the nail right on the head, helping us to understand that as this vertical characteristic, this vertical relationship that we have with God, where we come and trust in and submit to him, that as we take that submission in God and to him outwardly towards others, it will give us the ability to bear patiently with things that are oftentimes outside of our control things that we don't like, things we'd rather not take place. But see, the thing is, is that God is still providentially in control. He is sovereign over everything. There is nothing in this world that is not part of God's will, either by his divine decree or his sovereign decree to make things happen or by his permission, his permissive will to permit things to happen. Because nothing happens apart from God. And that doesn't mean he is the cause of or gives approval to all of the evil and sinful things of this world. Don't misconstrue that. But the thing is, as we take a look at this uh, meekness that we need to have, it is, it is a, a trust in who we know God to be, that he is in control no matter what, that there is nothing happening that is somehow hindering or boxing in or uh, limiting the almighty God of all. And we may not see what that may be here on this earth, but know this, that the divine judge of all things, the one who is the creator of all things, will, because he is holy and just and right, draw all things to their conclusion so that everyone must give an account, no matter who they are or what generation they've lived in. So how should this inform our lives today? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. If you haven't already figured out many ways already in these characteristics of meekness as we see scripturally, the first comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 11. As those seeking to fight the good fight, which we are in a fight, we are in a battle, we are in a war, is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. As those seeking to fight the good fight of faith pursue gentleness. That's what second or first or yeah, I can get the right text there. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 tells us to pursue gentleness, pursue meekness. So in other words, there is a part in which you need to play, just like being humble before God laying aside the, the arrogance, the self-assertion, the self-will, 
you also need to pursue gentleness. Now, know this, you can't pursue gentleness in and of yourself. You need the power of God to pursue this. You need to ask God to give you the ability to trust in and submit to who he is and to whatever place he has you in in this life. Second, Colossians 3.12 tells us as chosen ones, as God's children, put on meekness. So not only pursue gentleness or meekness, but put it on. So there's a next step in that. So you can pursue after something, keep chasing after it, maybe even catch up to it and catch it, but then not do anything with it. So what the scripture is telling us here is not only to pursue gentleness, but to put it on. God, give me the ability to be in submission to you, to trust in you, no matter what. Just like I've seen all the biblical characters of old, those that have come before us, those generations of faith that have come before us, and even a generation that may come after us. Third, James 1.21, as children of God or as God's children receive with meekness the implanted word. See, part of pursuing gentleness or meekness and putting on meekness is allowing the word of God to do its great work in your heart and in your mind and in your actions. So it says, receive with meekness. So in other words, trust in and submit to the word of God. Because that's the very best place to be. And if you haven't realized that until just right now, then praise be to God because from this step, you know, this point forward, you're going to have a different perspective and a different outlook on everything that you find yourself facing. But know this, you can always trust in and submit to God because he is our good God. And last... I thought as we take a look at the, you know, I talked about the biblical characters. Well, the, the greatest character of all is the Son of God, who we know was humble, but also gentle or meek. That comes out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, meek. And lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is gentle or meek because he was trusting in and in submission to the will of the Father. And so if Jesus Christ, God's Son, can trust the Father that way, then is there any reason for us to doubt us trusting in and submitting to God the Father? There shouldn't be. In this verse, Jesus is not offering a removal of the burdens of a hard life. He's just offering rest in the midst of all of it. And that's a key distinction. See, Jesus is the rejuvenation amidst the stress and suffering of life. And that is why when you are meek before God, you are able to do something that you cannot do when you're not meek. Because if you don't trust God, then you're not going to submit to God. But oftentimes, not trusting in God is not based in who God is. It's based in what the circumstances are. How can I trust God? Well, you need to remember who God is. 
And even Jesus gave us this example. He's not offering to remove the burdens of life. And know this, life is hard. Relationships are hard. Because there are still selfish people in this world doing selfish things. There are still evil people doing evil things. There are still even believers in Jesus Christ doing things that are hurtful. And no matter what that may be, no matter what that may take on, we need to know that what Jesus is offering is rest in the midst of all of that chaos. Rest in the midst of that burden. Because he can rejuvenate us and help us get through the stress and the suffering of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's bow for a closing word of prayer as the worship team comes and We sing, I surrender all. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the truth of gentleness, meekness. Uh, And Father, I pray first for myself that you would help me to trust in and submit to you. Maybe there's areas that I am not looking to you. And so, Father, I ask that you would reveal that to me, that you would give me the ability through the spirit that indwells me to not quench him, but instead trust him, submit to him, because then I can have contentment and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't matter how hurtful it is, how inconvenient it is, no matter what it is, I can trust in you because you are good. I can trust in you because you are holy and righteous and just. You are loving, merciful, faithful, kind, and so much more. So, Father, Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray that they would experience meekness, maybe in a way they never have before. That you would give them the ability to humble themselves, to swallow whatever may be keeping them from being humble. And help them to see the benefit by your power to stand in trust of you and in submission to you. In Jesus' name, amen.